You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on evidences. Now looking at why we can trust the Bible. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Thank you very, very much. Before we begin the presentation, I want to say thank you for the invitation. And I'm sorry it didn't work out two years ago. Actually, I did have a chance to speak here in 1993. And some of you were around at that time. I mean, you were all, most of you were alive at that time. I don't mean that, but it's good to be back in, in Texas. I'm here. Well, what got me here is my friend Tony Mulholland. Now, if you know Tony and Denise, Tony is the man, the engine who runs IPI, who do the book and audio, and we began a kind of a business partnership four years ago. So I visit Tony every year, and he's not in Boston anymore. He came to his senses and came back to Texas, so now I'm visiting him here. And then I get to see Tim, who is a friend who goes way back, and a number of you I know and I've met, and it's just, it's a great little reunion. I do have Texan blood in me. My mother was born right here in Houston. I have relatives in East Texas in St. Augustine. You know where that is? It's, it's, it's near Lufkin and Nacogdoches. Um, I had a great uncle who was mayor of Texas City for 20 years. First time I ever went fishing was in Galveston Bay. Actually, I've come to Texas like two or three times a year. So does that make me an honorary? No? Well, okay. <laughs> But uh, thank you so much uh, for having me. Thank you, Tim, for your kind words. And I'm still not ready to begin because Tony asked me to say some words, which I will, while the experts are fiddling with the computer and trying to get the image up. We have a, a book table, and this is one of the ways that I support my ministry. It's mainly public speaking, but we've got all kinds of stuff, and I just have five to feature. Now, four of these are related to what we're doing today. One is called True and Reasonable. It's a book that you you read and you give away to someone you're reaching out to. It's very, very simple. Originally written for people who speak English as a second language. And most of the material in today's presentation will be in this book. And so if you want something to help an atheist with, it's also very good for people in the mid to late teens and college students. Uh, Almost an identical lesson to today's is in here. This has, from facts to faith, has why I trust the Bible... That, that's what we're about to start. Big Bang, uh, evolution, dinosaurs, caveman. Uh, there's one on the problem of human suffering. And there's one on atheists and atheism. And that's audio. The third one, how we got the Bible. Church history is long and complicated. Church history, if you struggle with history in school, 2,000 years of church history, all the fragmentation and the problems... But the most complicated part of it is how the Bible came together. It's very complex. And that's, this is how we got the Bible. And another fun one, if you want something less, this is three hours, this is two. This is called The Lost Books of the Bible That We're Never Missing. <laughs> and the only other thing <laughs> these days, you, you may say, oh, well, that's not an issue for me. I don't care if it's an issue for you or not. It's an issue for a lot of people. It's like people say, well, I don't believe in Muhammad, so... You know, I don't really, not interested in Islam. Sorry, Jack. 20% of the world are Muslims. 
If you say, well, I'm not interested. Oh, so you're only interested in the 80% of the world that's not Muslim. You see what I'm saying? This, this topic, the missing books, is so big. When I was brought to Albania a few months ago, which, by the way, is a Muslim nation, guess what they wanted me to speak on? The Da Vinci Code. And we had more than twice as many visitors as members, including 20 Muslims, and the press, and I did a TV interview the next day. This is big stuff. And the last thing, this is off 14 down to $10, and then no more commercial. My wife and I wrote a book on parenting a couple of years ago. This is the second edition. It is a challenging book. It's called The Quiver, Christian Parenting in a Non-Christian World. This could help you. You say, well, our kids are young, or we don't have kids. Uh, it's good to read the instructions before assembly. You may dismiss yourself and say, well, I'm a grandparent. Well, then you're even more responsible for the advice you give because everyone's looking up to you. Don't go all soft like some grannies and grandpas do, right? Yeah, okay. So all of this and more is available. And I'm going to get out of the way because actually I need to be able to see this too. So they're going to bring the, just the stage lights off. And this is our topic for the day. This is being recorded. Um, Tony's recording this also. It's being translated into Espanol. Pueden ustedes quien me están oyendo pueden oír es claro mi, mi voz es clara sin problema muy muy bueno <laughs> can we trust the Bible and by the way this is my my family uh, it's a year old so it's fairly close you can see my wife there Vicky who's British she was baptized in 1983 and she worked for the church for 18 years and after four years off she just went back half time. And she's the children's ministry director. And if you're ever involved in children's ministry, she would be a nice person to serve under. She loves this new job. Just started a few days ago. You can see our daughter Lily on the left, who, yes, is adopted from China. Uh, my daughter Emma, who's very tall and beautiful on the top right. She's here in, the, uh, in row one, uh, seat six. <laughs> she's a senior in high school. And uh, seven, sorry, whatever. And then my son, my son is a sophomore at the University of Florida. Uh, he's a, he loves the ministry there. There are about 130 uh, Christian teens in the campus ministry there. And he absolutely loves it. And they gave him a scholarship, so it bribed me. So I say, go Gators. But it has nothing to do with sports. It has purely the money. Okay, because they, they said, we'll pay for him to go. I mean, I'm as much behind the Gators as the sixth member of the family is. See that black blob? That's our dog. Our dog, Timothy. No, I'm kidding. Just teasing Tim Huffman. But I won't tell you the dog's name because it probably is the name of someone in the room and then we don't need this. Okay, so going back to our topic. Now pay attention. Don't, don't get all... Okay, this is important stuff. Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust the Bible? That is our topic today. When we discuss apologetics, apologetics sounds kind of pathetic. But it's simply Christian evidences. It comes from a word in 1 Peter 3. Apologetics is the defense of the faith. It's explaining the faith to those who don't believe. It's answering questions that come up. And we all have questions, which means often I find that Christians appreciate apologetics even more than non-Christians. I mean, the visitors always get a lot out of it. But, but if you're a person of faith who uses your brain, you do have questions. Don't tell me, oh, I don't have any doubts. I don't have any questions. If you have no doubts and no questions, you're just not thinking. 
You cannot live in this world and read God's Word and not have questions. And so there are lots of fun topics I'd love to discuss, but today we've, I've been given the topic, what happens, uh, that is, uh, why we can trust the Bible. I'm looking at some of these topics that I, I just love to teach on. Uh, astronomy, archaeology, cool stuff. All over the world, people have some concept of truth. How do you say truth in your language? If you're Russian, you say pravda. We say truth. Every language has a concept, has some kind of a word for truth. The question is, what is the truth? Is it just opinion or is there anything that's actually black and white? Not everything is gray. As a 30-year-old Christian, I'll be turning 30 in a uh, couple weeks, I know there's gray. Oh, there are a lot of gray areas in the Bible. But there are also a lot of black and white areas. And so, in this presentation today, which is simple because of the time, I'm not suggesting that everything is always crystal clear, but the big teachings are. The things you really need to know are very important. And once again, God gave us a brain. He meant us to use it. And not just when we're in school, but forever and ever. Because disciple is the word student. Right? It means student. Now, this is Mark Twain. We're all familiar with him. He made one of his characters say, Faith believing what you know ain't so. Well, that, I'm sorry, is not faith. Faith is not psyching yourself up to believe something you just hope's true, but you won't really know if it's true until you die, and by then it's too late. That's kind of a pathetic view of faith. Faith's a lot more than that. I'm not saying that there's not a trust involved in this relationship. But faith is a certainty. It's a surety. It's more than just, I faintly hope there might be a God, and perhaps, maybe, He has spoken to us, and maybe our church has found some of the truth, and I don't know, I'm just a mess. That's not faith. Faith, as defined by the Hebrew writer, whoever he was, is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Certain to the point that for centuries and centuries, Christians were killed for the faith. And even today, in many countries of the world, believers are executed every month because they've taken their stand, not on some religious tradition or opinion, but they've taken their stand on something rock solid, on the black and white of the Bible. Okay, now, if there's a God... It's reasonable he would speak to us. We wouldn't even be able to have the concept of God if he hadn't somehow put that in our mind. But how would he speak to us? Probably in words. In words. Do you have a Bible? What do you, what's it made up of? Words in sentences. Just words without uh, grammar would be meaningless. Absolutely meaningless if there's no grammar. You know what I mean? If you just open up, it said truth, love. Happiness, joy, peace, respect. That, that would mean nothing. And it could mean everything. But words in books. And the Bible is a library. It's not a book. It's a library of 66 books. This makes sense to me. You don't go to Ashley, the European psychic, to learn about truth. It's too subjective. It's like the fortune cookie. You don't do that. This is not the way we're going to find out the truth. We're not going to do it that way. We're going to find out the truth by going to something that's solid. And the Bible has often been compared to a compass. 
don't know what you're laughing about. What is a compass? I mean, a compass points to true north. Okay, no, there's, the, there's magnetic north and true north. Okay, you purists, the geophysicists in the room, just listen. Don't spoil it here. So the Bible, <laughs> the Bible points us the direction we need to go. Well, why do we need a compass? Can I see? Yeah, you can see. But did you never get lost? Yes, you can see, but sometimes it gets a bit foggy. And we get dizzy spiritually, and things happen. And often things that happen are just self-inflicted, you know what I mean? Most of my suffering in my life, it's not persecution. I like to say, yeah, people take a shot at me. No, it's dumb things I do to myself. Of course, the good thing about me being a Christian for 30 years is I never make the same mistake twice. I learn from them. No, no. See, what's worse is we do it to ourselves again and again and again. But anyway, that's okay. We need the compass. So when we get up, Jeremiah 8, verse 4, don't just lie there, get up out of the street, Jeremiah 8, 4, we know which way to go. Well, if God were going to speak to us, there are six things we would expect that would describe this message. And again, all of this is in the products I already mentioned. Firstly, it would need to be intelligible because indeed, we think in words. But we all think in different words. That means we need it translated into our language and it needs to be clear. So, what if Ephesians 2, verse 8, very famous verse, were written this way? How would you do? Have you finished the paragraph now? Can you all see it over there? By the way, if you can't see, you need to move in the middle or you're going to lose more than half of this presentation. Um, you know, eschatologically, right? You know, pertaining to the end of the world. What? No? Soteriologically, pertaining to salvation. You know, can you imagine if this is the way the judgment day were described in the Bible? All accountable members of species, homo sapiens, sapiens, eventually transcended, metaphysically punitive, not pyrotechnic, juxtaposition. That is not the way the Bible is written. I just actually made that up. The Bible is written in words that we can understand. Thank you, God. It's also brief. Brevity is of the essence because the mind can only take in as much as the seat can endure. Right. That's not a proverb, but it should be. It could be. Brevity, for example, in the scientific world, there are tens of millions of books and articles about how life came to be in our universe. And I've read a lot of those. I mean, I've read a fraction of a percent of a percent of a percent of them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, most of what the Bible has to say about creation is in the first 31 verses. That's what I mean by brevity. You get, what's the word? The scoop. The skinny. You get what you need. Jesus lived on this earth 12, 13,000 days. He died when he was 35 or 37, something like that. How many days in Jesus' life can you find in the Bible? Non-repeated days. Only about 30. Uh-oh. What happened to the other days? Is that when he went to India and learned from the Buddha? I heard that on a talk show. Now, Buddha died 500 years before Jesus. I promise you he didn't go to India to learn from the Buddha. But this is the, the brilliance. This is the brevity of the Scripture. The Holy Spirit has selected the days that we need it in order to understand. And this is characteristic of the Bible. But you say it's a thousand pages long. Yes, but it covers thousands of years. 
It's actually quite short if you think about it. If, if God had given you the job and you had to cover all that history, I bet you it would have been a lot longer. Well, so far the Bible clears the hurdle because it's written in language we can understand. I didn't say that there aren't some difficult parts, but the basic message is clear enough that someone in high school can begin to come to grips with that message, sometimes even middle school. Okay, secondly though, even if it were accurate, if it had not been copied accurately, we'd be in trouble. You know, many people say, okay, well, I, I believe the apostles did a good job, but those monks... We know what people do with too much time on their hands. Probably a bunch of pranksters. Jesus was walking along the side, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the monk said, Brother Dennis, look at this. And he changed alongside to on. Oh, he's walking on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, they'll like that, won't they? (laughs) Well, you have to actually consider that. Could it have been tweaked, changed? It could have. Except that we have manuscripts that go back almost to the very beginning, long before there even were monks. The Bible's been transmitted accurately, the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a lot to say about this. We just don't have time. But one thing I enjoy doing may not be in your top hobbies, but I like going to the museums and universities of the world and examining personally the oldest manuscripts of the Bible, the Hebrew and Greek. And I can tell you by comparing that to my Bible in Greek and Hebrew that the copying is brilliant. The errors, can I call them errors? Spelling mistakes normally. By the way, did you ever make a spelling mistake? Or would you proofread my next book for me? (laughs) See, that's not really an error. In fact, there was no real standardized spelling until pretty recently, even in English. It's only been going for a few hundred years. No, no. For the Old Testament, the greatest proof that it was copied accurately are the Dead Sea Scrolls, which you can view all over the world because they go on a tour very frequently. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947. And why these are significant is that before that time, the oldest surviving Old Testament was from about 850 A.D., When was the Old Testament written? It was finished B.C., about 400 B.C. Uh Uh-oh, 1,250 years for errors to creep in. Ah, but the Dead Sea Scrolls are 1 to 200 years older than the time of Jesus. Even the Messianic prophecies are there. The prophecies of the Messiah. And for the New Testament evidence, it's even better. This is actually the oldest New Testament manuscript in the world. I know it's little. But it's uh, John 18. It's in England. I've actually held this in my hand. It's the oldest New Testament in the world. Manuscript. The oldest letters of Paul, Papyrus 46. If you go to Ann Arbor, Michigan, you can see them. I took a group there a couple years ago. I've been, been there several times, actually. And, and at least one of you in this room was with me, Brett. Brett. P46. This is from the 2nd century. And it matches your New Testament. Do you understand when the 2nd century is? This is is like 100 years after Paul died. Incredible. And you'd say, but it looks a bit rough. Well, come on, guys. It's 1,800 years old. Your 
your Bible look, would look worse than that after two years if you read it every day, right? I mean, be, and, and that's, what, that's why we don't have more manuscripts. We only have a few hundred really old ones and then a few tens of thousands a little bit later because Christians believe the Bible is true. And when you believe it, you read it. And when you read it, it wears out. And so if you're proud of this Bible, been your family for 10 generations, still got the gold on the pages, that tells me something. <laughs> Someone not reading it. <laughs> the gold will wear off. Oh, yes. And the flower of the field, it wilteth. Okay, there we go. And there's a lot to say. You say, well, how can you possibly read that stuff? There's no space between the letters. Yeah, but if you study Greek, you, you learn the words, and, and it's not that hard. It does work. This is fascinating, and you can go to the necessary websites and learn yourself. But the upshot of this point about accuracy is that the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace. You can trust God's word. It has been copied accurately. Now, this doesn't mean it's true. That's a different issue. See, you could give me a message to pass on to somebody. I could pass on your message with total fidelity. Doesn't mean what you said was true. What you said may have been a bunch of baloney. But I passed it on accurately. Baloney, 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 walking down the road under an umbrella, baloney, baloney. Okay, well, I, I passed it on accurately, but so? So that brings us to the next criterion, which is it has to be true, consistent in two ways. Let me explain why I choose the word consistent. Firstly, it needs to be consistent itself, giving one unified message. If the Bible contradicted itself, that would be lacking internal consistency. And yet we find, though it's written by so many different kinds of people. Here, I've just chosen 12. Political figures, military figure, musician, priest, rabbi, and so forth. And it's written over a period of over a thousand years, yet there's a consistent message there about who God is and who we are, where we're coming from, our origin, where we're going, our destiny, who we are, identity, what life's about, meaning, how we connect to others, relationship, right? There's a consistent picture on those very important subjects. But not just internal consistency, external. That is, the Bible doesn't contradict what's outside the Bible. Because the Old and New Testament teaches that God speaks to us through history, nature, conscience. See, if the Bible said one thing, but science contradicted it totally, we'd have a real problem. Because God speaks through science. Scientists can make mistakes, but in general, they do a pretty good job. So, does it contradict history, geography, and so forth? And the answer is no. In fact, very often these topics, these areas confirm the Bible, though more often they simply illustrate it. And I've got whole PowerPoints on history and on archaeology and geography. And if we were taking questions today, which I won't now, but you can visit me at the table after, if we were taking questions, I can defend the Bible. I know what the critics say. And I've been to the museums. And I've been to those places in the ancient world where the evidence is. And I've studied the books. And and I will defend it because the Bible, unlike many books from ancient times I've read, is accurate. Now, the cynic says, we wouldn't even know there is a Jesus if it weren't for the Bible. So? You know, sometimes they say, well, yeah, okay. 
the Bible has all these miracles, but what I want, I want an ancient document written by someone who does not believe, but who admitted Jesus rose from the dead and did all the miracles. If I want someone who, who didn't believe, but admitted all those things were, were true, and then I'd believe. I think you're really being unreasonable. What do you call an unbeliever who sees the evidence and then agrees with the miracles and the resurrection and everything? What is that? That that would be a Christian, you see. (laughs) You can't have it both ways. Well, I want someone who excuses my lack of belief, but who admits it's all true. Sorry, that doesn't work. In fact, if you took away the Old New Testament, there are many records, mentions of Jesus and his phenomenal movement by Roman and Jewish and other writers outside the Bible. And these are all available in libraries, on the internet. The point being, the Bible's consistent. It doesn't contradict itself. It doesn't contradict what we see out there. So what we have so far is a message we can understand. We can understand it. It's been copied very accurately, and it doesn't contradict itself or what we see outside. Ah, but is it from God? What sign of the supernatural is there? Again, the cynic might say, well... If it has miracles in it, then I'm suspicious. Look, just because a lot of faith healers today, if not most, are quacks, doesn't mean that there's no such thing as a miracle. It's because there are miracles that people are so eager to counterfeit them. In fact, a Bible without miracles would be a little bit suspicious. Because if the Bible is true in claiming that God enters our world... We would actually expect to see some trace of his presence, some afterglow of the miraculous. And not to have miracles would be more indicting than the presence of miracles. Think about that. Things like fulfilled prophecy, scientific insight ahead of its time. In some of my books, I talk about this. See, we often are guilty of inflation. I don't mean economics, although the Lord knows that's... Boy, for thousands of years, human economies have suffered inflation. I mean verbal inflation. How are you today? Awesome. Wow, you're inspiring dread, fear, and reverence. Oh, shall I bow down before you? Doesn't the Bible say only God is awesome? See, the way, the way we use our words, mega awesome, giga awesome, terra awesome, fanta awesome. I mean, just wait as the computers keep developing. All those little-known Greek prefixes will will be applied. And so we we call, you know, someone is baptized this week. It's a miracle. No, it's not a miracle, because that's actually what happens all the time when people become Christians. It's an act of God. Oh, but isn't everything God does a miracle? Every act of God's a miracle? Every flood? You know, they call floods acts of God. You know, tornado, it's a miracle? No, I think you're a little confused. A miracle is something that seems to go against the laws of nature. It's not part of what happens normally, like tornadoes coming and people being forgiven of their sins in the water. A miracle is part of the upstairs. Not the natural, but what is above the natural, what we call the supernatural. So all of these things here, that the Bible is the best preserved book from ancient times, translated into thousands of languages. In fact, you know, a couple thousand languages wouldn't even have their own script if it weren't for missionaries. Most of the writing systems of the world were were invented by missionaries. Why would they be so eager to do that? That's hard work. Why would they do that? 
Because there's a message to get out. None of these things is a miracle. That's the world's bestseller. That's the first book into outer space. The miracle has to do with the upstairs, the downstairs, the natural world. We know from the scriptures and from experience that to only describe the downstairs is inadequate. There's more to what's really going on. Now, if all you see is upstairs, you meet people like that, they think this world's an illusion and it's it's only, you know, the unseen. They're very mystical, spiritual. They're not rooted in reality. On the other hand, it's no better to ignore the upstairs and only be down here. You know, I think that we croak and that's it. I just, you know, that's it. Life is short and full of pain and that's it. And I'm a practical man. But you see, if there's an upstairs, you're not a practical man. How many of you live in a one-story house? One story? How about an apartment? How about a two-story house or taller? What kind of person would you be if you lived there in your house for 30 or 40 years and then they were, your sons or descendants were selling the house and said, wow, it's incredible. The upstairs is so, it's like a new house. Oh, well, our dad, he didn't believe in the upstairs. He, he only spent his life on the downstairs. He didn't think there was an upstairs. We showed him that, we showed him evidence that we were up there and everything, but he heard the noises, but he explained it all away. <laughs> that would be bizarre. So you're not actually that practical if you only think the world has the downstairs. If there's an upstairs, as, as most religions have figured out, and I think most of us understand, that it's not practical to only live downstairs. You've got to get both. Got to get both. Well, a fifth thing we would expect from God's Word is it have to actually tell us, hey, this is God's Word. Because we're competing in an arena. Do you know how many religions are out there right now? How many thousands of religions? If you saw a drunk man in the road trying to tell you where to go, you're driving, he's going like this, and he decides he's appointed himself the deputy director of traffic, what do you do? Well, you slow down, but it's not because you want to understand his instructions and do what he says. Really, you're going to pay no attention to him except you don't want to have an accident. If, on the other hand, you see a woman or a man in a nice uniform, white gloves, maybe a whistle, and giving some very clear signals, what do you do? Probably you take that person pretty seriously. In other words, I'm not suggesting that we should wear uniforms in the church, you know, based on your authority. I'm, I'm not, but I'm saying the Bible needs to clarify itself as an authority. And when people say, well, it just the opinion of man, they're going against what the Bible consistently says. You know, this is not my opinion. This is what God says. Thus says the Lord. Road signs. (laughs) How many of you guys moved to Houston and are still trying to figure out some of the patterns, (laughs) the traffic patterns, the road signs? Oh, we need, we value clear signs and signals. Nothing like, but but the light was green and I was, I didn't understand there was another light above me and the street sign, someone turned it around, and that's very frustrating. But the Bible's not like that. In fact, nothing got turned around. People say, well, aren't there other books that should be in the Bible? What about the extra six or seven books in the Roman Catholic Bible? The things that talk about how you can give money for forgiveness of sins. You can talk to dead people and pray to them. Sex is for procreation only, not recreation and many other very happy doctrines. Well, 
one of the, probably the most solid apocryphal book. By the way, I think these are all good books to read because they span the Testaments. And I challenge you, once you've read the Old Testament three, four, five times, read the Apocrypha once. It'll help you. It'll give you a little history. But First Maccabees itself twice says, this book is not inspired. Now see, if Paul said in First Thessalonians, by the way, this letter is not inspired. If Luke wrote Luke and said, well, many have tried to write about this, but don't take my word, this is just my best guess, then I think we should respect what he said. We shouldn't ascribe to them greater authority than they were claiming. That wouldn't be right. Look at the end of 2 Maccabees. 2 Maccabees. This is the very final paragraph. So, I too here will end my story. If it is well told and to the point, that is what I myself desired. If it is poorly done and mediocre, uh, that was the best I could do. How would you feel that's the way Tracy ended his sermon next week? (laughs) Tim Huffman taught a class, said, well, it was mediocre, just the best I could do. Oh, those are the very words of God. Those are the oracles of the Holy Spirit. I'm so inspired. No, I, I think you'd say, it's kind of lame. And so for this and a hundred other reasons, I don't believe that those books that have been added are Scripture. The ones that say, hey, we're not Scripture. (laughs) I would no more follow them than follow a road sign that said, hey, Dallas is not this direction. (laughs) No, and it's not a thousand miles away. I would just ignore that totally, and so should you. Now, just imagine if the Bible were written this way. Excuse me. Oh, by the way, Luke only has 24 chapters, okay? So this is just made up. (laughs) Excuse me. You have to put on a bit of a higher voice. Nothing against people with high voices, but you know what I mean. Could you please possibly change a little if it's not inconvenient? That is not the way the Bible is written. What if Paul had spoken like this? Oh, for me, it feels this is true. Now, for you, maybe not. But, you know, I think maybe God's saying something to me. I just wanted to share, you know, for me. What? I mean, everyone has an opinion. So, what, we got 6.6 billion Bibles? Everyone has his own Bible? No. Or Peter, again, only five chapters. But what if there was a chapter 6? And he said, I just feel we should all try to be nicer people. The end. (laughs) wow that had blew my socks off and invigorated my very marrow I'm ready to set the town on fire now and try to be just marginally nicer you know sadly today Sunday a lot of people will leave a lot of churches feeling just like that yes I feel strangely warmed and I will make a marginal effort to be nice if it's not inconvenient you see that's the word of God not the word of man what? What are you talking about? Okay. That is not the way the Bible's written. <laughs> and thank goodness it's not written that way. And if you didn't know that, you should. There was a survey. I can't believe this. I, I read this in Christianity Today yesterday. Not the, the magazine's called Christianity Today, not Christianity Yesterday. A survey of Americans. One in four of, you know, there are four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Average American could not name even one of the four. Average American thought that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. That was the most popular guess. People don't read. Well, Lord, I thank you that I'm in the Church of Christ. 
is we all read our Bible every day, and we all read the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. So help us the Bible, the Bible. You know what I found out? Traveling, been to a few countries. It's the same pretty much everywhere. Most Christians have read the New Testament all the way. 90% of Christians have never read the Old Testament completely. Now, your church is a bit more maturity. You've got a few people more, but I'm, I'm speaking on the average. But if we did a show of hands right now, I would bet that only 15% of us in this room have read the Old Testament. But all Scripture is inspired and useful. How many of you believe the Old Testament is inspired? Put your hand up. That's easy. How many of you believe it is useful? I sense he is about to lay a trap. But <laughs> 2 Timothy 3.16 does say it's useful, so it's useful. Uh-huh. And the, the kicker. And tell me how you're using the Old Testament. Uh, why don't you stand up, brother? Tell us about how you use Obadiah. Why don't you share with us how Amos helps you in your personal ministry? And why don't you talk about Psalms and Proverbs? And we'll give you the job of Second Chronicles. You say, but I don't even know what Obadiah is about. I never did understand Hosea. We, but, but see, the point is we don't read it. We're lost. Sadly, even bored. Christianity is not a boring religion. It's the most exciting religion out there. Even the persecution can be very interesting. The Bible is inspired and useful. And if you don't believe it's useful, I guess that would explain why you don't read it. It's practical. That's the final criterion. The criterion of practicality. That it works. It helps us deal with life. Because life has a little bit of anxiety in it. And pressure. It helps us build character. It shows us how to relate to others. From our own children to to anybody. So many areas. Physical fitness. Yeah, that's in the Bible. Really? Personal finances. All over the place. It is? Is credit card debt okay? No. Yeah, you need to get into God's Word. Well, it, I'm not saying it's, it's neutral, but get rid of it as fast as you can. Romans 13, 8. Okay. Career planning, friendship, health. In so many areas, it works. And maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you're just a guest today. And I pray that something here is going to give you a little push. And you're going to get a Bible in a good translation you can understand. And listen. And don't just force your opinion onto the page. But try to listen. What would God say if there's a God, if he spoke to us? The Bible is like a compass. It will point us true. We don't always like the way it points us. <laughs> well, Lord... Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't it be a lot easier just to go over there and go down the steps? And you, you, you put me right here. I'm supposed to jump? But the compass will not mislead you. I've never been misled by God's Word. Have you? Well, it led me into a painful place. Yes. And that was promised. And you knew that at the outset. Romans 5, James 1, Romans 8. Luke 9, so many passages. Yes, yeah, suffering is part of authentic Christianity. You don't want to suffer? You're in luck. Because most churches teach that God's sole purpose is to bless you, honey. God wants you to have a good job. <laughs> he wants you to get the guy of your dreams. And you'll have no suffering at all. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. Aswani. Well... I'm sorry. God wants to bless us. 
And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And blessed are the pure in heart. Not blessed are those who drive an expensive car and avoid all sickness. We better redefine Bible terms through biblical theology, not through what we find on the TV. So the Bible will not lead you astray. It is indeed exactly what we would expect in a message from God. Intelligible, written in human languages, copied and translated accurately. We would expect it to be consistent. Not self-contradictory, but consistent with also what's outside. And there's so many examples. Here's the Pontius Pilate stone. That's in Atlanta right now. It proves Pontius Pilate was a real person, the governor in Galilee, in Judea, that is. 1961 is when they found that stone. 1961? Yeah. I went to that museum five times this summer, taking others. The bone box of Caiaphas, the foot of the crucified man. But you didn't ask me to speak on archaeology, did you? But the Bible is consistent. It's true. It shows signs of the supernatural. It's authoritative. And it works. Amen. So, can we know the truth? Absolutely. Yes, we can know the truth. Because faith is being sure of what we hope for. Yes, there's hope, but there's a confidence there. And it shows when someone's got faith. You see it in the eyes. Psalm 34. And certain of what we do not see. Some will inevitably say, well, Douglas, um, thank you. That was very stimulating. But, you know, I have some intellectual problems. No one could really help me with my questions. You know, maybe you don't have an intellectual problem. Maybe you're actually suffering from a moral problem. Are, well, no, 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 no. I, I would become a Christian if I were convinced. Would you become a Christian if you had to move out with that live-in girlfriend? How'd you know about that? Uh, the Spirit told me. Um, well, I could never give that up. Why? She'd kill me. I mean, she would never let... Okay. <laughs> You're a real man, aren't you? See, when we don't want to hurt and sacrifice and change, then it's a very short distance between that moral problem and the intellectual problem. Yeah, I don't want to give up my... It's just recreational anyway, you know, what I do. It's just, I don't want to give that up. And that's why I have this problem in the book of Nehemiah, because some of the numbers don't compare to Ezra. They're off a little bit. And so it's just, I'm really stuck spirits. I really couldn't be expected to repent and get baptized because the numbers didn't quite match there. And uh, it has nothing to do with the stuff that I like to smoke. By the way, would you like to join me? Uh, you, know, you know, I think there actually could be a connection. What do you think? <laughs> could be. As Jesus said, if anyone makes this decision, this choice, he chooses to do. God's will, he'll find out. Some of you say, unfair. It's a catch-22. Of course, if you decide to believe, then you'll believe. But that's not what Jesus is saying. We've got to be willing to follow the truth wherever it leads. First, even if you don't know, you have to have what's called integrity. If you're willing, then you actually can find out. And you may be very surprised. You say, well, I knew it would be this. No, you will be very surprised. God is a God of surprise. (laughs) In the words of G.K. Chesterton, a very clever Christian believer, it's not, he says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's not been tried and found wanting. But it's been found difficult and left untried. There should be no block to our believing 
that we can trust the Bible. My question is, are we going to read it and are we going to apply it to our lives? Because when we do, get ready for a radical revolution. One that will touch you and everyone you know from now till the end of your life on this earth. God bless you and please trust God's word. Do something this day, this week, and in this lifetime, the only lifetime we have. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's series on evidences. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.